Okay, I think I can state without much fear of contradiction that uh, alcohol or drinking booze is the United Kingdom's favourite sport. Drinking alcohol is our country's favourite pastime. Um, to quote a famous uh, song lyric, or maybe not that famous, our society lives looking, just looking for excuses to drink. Isn't that right? The sun is shining. What does our city say? Let's open. Crack open a bottle of wine. Or the weekend comes, what do we hear? Let's get to the pub. Or the World Cup is on. And so what do people say? Let's uh, crack open uh, some beer. It's true that very little today in our culture and society is enjoyed without a glass in hand. But what of us in here? We are a group of believers, the children of God. Should we have equally as liberal an attitude uh, to alcohol as our neighbours and our colleagues? And if you're laughing at me and saying, of course not, then what should our attitude to alcohol be as a church and as the people of God? Well, this evening, I want us to do this. I want us to focus on one solitary uh, verse, uh, verse 18 of this chapter that we've looked at. I want us to consider the truth that we see there. Truth, I pray, that will help us to have and to form a scripturally grounded, well-rounded theology of booze. And if you have the text, the first thing that I want us to consider here is the command. That's our first heading this evening, the command. Now, uh, I think it was only last week, at a very recent parliamentary prayer breakfast over at Westminster, um, a famous American minister, I'm pretty sure looking around, most of you have heard of this guy, a man called Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller was there over at Westminster at this parliamentary prayer breakfast, and he said to the assembled masses, he said this, that, and I hope I've got this quote right, he said that the greatest need that society has today is for Christians to stand out for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's speaking to a group largely of ministers from various denominations, and he says that we as Christians are only going to be of benefit to the people around us if we stand apart if we are different, if we stand out for Christ. Now, you see that idea there, that the church is to be different to the world around us. That is very much what is in the forefront of the apostle's mind as he is in Ephesians chapter 5. He's thinking here of the walk, the Christian walk, and how we must be as the people of God different to the world. How does that work out, this difference, how does it work out in regard to alcohol? Let's start with what Paul doesn't say. Paul does not say in verse 18, do not drink. And I think that is slightly controversial. You only need to look around the room to know this, that we're from all manner of different church backgrounds, aren't we? I mean, even if you're from the same country, you know, even some of our fellow countrymen have different church backgrounds and ideas and I think we all know in here that there is this line of thought in certain church circles that alcohol itself is inherently sinful wine wrong displeasing to God I personally myself have relatives in a different part of the world 
who are currently barred from church membership, and it is because they will refuse to give up alcohol. They won't have a glass of wine or half a glass of wine with a meal. So is this right? The idea that alcohol or drinking wine, of, of, is, 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 that it's wrong, that it is displeasing to God. Well, friends, please hear this. I cannot see any scriptural warrant for such a view. I mean, who are we focusing on here? Is the Apostle Paul. Does the Apostle Paul not go on to write very soon recommending the use of alcohol to Timothy? Isn't that right? For medicinal purposes. Have a little wine for your stomach, Timothy. Yes? What about the Lord Jesus Christ? Does he not even again turn water into wine? He's not going to do this. He's not going to do it. Wine and alcohol is inherently sinful. And I think what is actually the clincher here is this. The theme throughout Scripture identifies wine, not the displeasure of God, but actually identifies wine with the blessing of the Almighty God. I wonder if you notice what you've just sung. Did you notice it? Let me let me show you. It's Psalm 104. You, this has just come out of your your mouths, friends. Wine that to a man's constitution joy and gladness brings. That's from that's God's word. That's that's God's word. And then what about what about this? This is Proverbs 3 verse 9. Now listen very carefully to the words. Proverbs 3: Honor the Lord with your wealth, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now you see the idea, don't you? Wine in itself is not inherently sinful. It is not wicked in itself. That is not what Paul is saying here. So if wine isn't inherently wrong, what is Paul getting at? Well, here's an idea for us. Why don't we look again at the text? Please look at it with me. Look at verse 18. Let's have a look. Let's see what the text actually says. What does Paul say? He says... And do not get drunk with wine. So we as a group of believers in here, we see what is being forbidden. Paul is saying, don't get hammered. Isn't he saying, don't get tipsy, don't get wasted or legless. Or I'm a Scotsman, we have infinite terms for this. Is the, the word that we have, mo- the idea that we have most words for in Scotland, I think. You see the idea, do you not? We are being told by Scripture that as the people of God and to stand apart, that we must not be a people who are drinking to excess. Now, tonight, to apply this, what do we do? Let me suggest that we go down a few different avenues. The first avenue is to speak to the younger people of London City Presbyterian Church. So to those who are in their 20s and 30s or or thereabouts, what does this mean for you? Well, I absolutely understand and appreciate the temptations that you face living as a relatively young person in a city like this. Like I I know and we know that there are people in life who live for booze, I presume. Like people who, who, who revolve around Friday night or the time after work where they get together and, and drink to excess. And I am pleading with you as your minister not to dice with this transgression. Because as younger people, I know what it's like. We can perhaps sometimes 
<laughs> be very easy on ourselves, can't we? So what we do is we have this imaginary line where we go out and we, you know, maybe drink and get people, younger people get drunk and do get drunk, drink to excess. But what do they do? They can say, well, I didn't collapse. <laughs> like I, I, I can still remember what I, I did. You know, I, I did fall about the place and, and so I wasn't really, really drunk. I wasn't intoxicated. We can try and kid ourselves on. And friend, I'm saying you don't, don't do that. Be a million miles away from this sort of transgression. And I would plead with you, do not delay your obedience. We can do that as well, can't we? When we're young as Christians, we can say, I will obey this sort of thing when I'm a little bit older. And when I'm set up and I have a family and I've got kids, yeah, of course I'm not going to be drinking when I'm a, when I'm a parent. But now, look around me, all my friends are doing it. It's okay just to have a few, three, four, five drinks. Friend, no. As a young person, what must you do? Remember your creator now, in the days of your youth. But then if we're, if we're going to apply it for the younger people, what else do we have to do? We've got to go down a second avenue here, and we've got to apply it to those who are maybe not so young. And I was really struck by this in, in uh, preparation for this sermon. This fact, struck by this, that those most likely to drink to excess in London and the United Kingdom today are those who are over 40. Now we perceive it and portray it very often as a binge drinking, it's kids, it's teenagers, it's young people. The people who are most likely to be drinking to excess are those over 40. And I am not naive. And the eldership of this church are not naive. And we know that it's more of a problem in the church than we would like to let on or believe. And if that is you, if you are an older believer in here who is drinking to excess, I implore you to use tonight. God is confronting you with this from Scripture. Take this opportunity tonight to turn from that and to repent of your sin. So the young people, that's one avenue. The older people, another avenue. But just to make Gabriel and Bob uh, uncomfortable, let's go down the avenue of office bearers for a moment. Because elders and deacons, and those who will hopefully watch this perhaps or listen to it uh, after the event, what do we know? consistently throughout the Bible, the Apostle Paul makes it an actual stipulation of holding office in God's church that we be men who are not addicted to much wine. Spelt out, clear as day for office bearers. And, and I implore the office bearers of this church, we have to be so careful with this. And we have to be setting an example for the congregation. Do we all see this? What do you recognize here in this command from Paul? There is application for all of us here, isn't there? None of us are to be drinking to excess. So we see the command. Let's move on though. Let's secondly look at the explanation. Here, what I want to do is to try and deal with a perhaps unsaid objection that you might have to all of this just now. So you might be looking at me and thinking, okay, Andy, I'm with you to a certain extent. 
Like, I get the idea that we're not to be going out and we're not to be, you know, falling about the streets of Shoreditch on a Friday night. Get that. But, Andy, what is the problem of doing it at home? What is the problem of me having a few friends round? Opening a few bottles of wine. We're in the confines. I know these people. There's nothing. We're, we're in the confines of our own home privately. Why not drink a bit and have a laugh with our friends? Why not? Well, if we continue in verse 18, you come to the reasoning that Paul gives here for this really explicit command. Look at verse 18 again. Do not get drunk. Now, let's look at the reasoning for this, that is debauchery. Debauchery, as Brad would tell us if he was here, debauchery here is a tricky term. It's quite a tricky idea here. But it is the idea of really reckless living. So what I want to do just for a moment is to try and flesh that out a little bit now to show you the reasons the Bible gives, or some of the reasons that Scripture, God gives you, that show that drunkenness is debauchery, to really flesh out, why is this so wrong? And I'm just going to lay a few little bits of evidence, biblical evidence at your feet tonight. I know it's hot, but you're still going to be with me, okay? A few bits of evidence. Why is this wrong? Why is drunkenness debauched in the eyes of God? The first is this, that it causes you harm. Now friends, do you, have you heard of the name John Flavel before, or John Flavel? Some of you will have, I'm sure. John Flavel was a 17th century Englishman. I'm not, I'm not going to hold that against him. He was a 17th century English Presbyterian minister, John Flavel, and he wrote extensively about drinking. And in one of his brilliant, brilliant books on the subject. John Flavel, he zeroes in on the fact that drinking is sinful. It is displeasing to God because it harms the human body. Now, just for a second, think about that from a biblical perspective. What is your body? 1 Corinthians 6. It's the dwelling place of God. What did we see this morning? It's where God resides. You are supposed to honor God with your body. And yet, what does alcohol do? It causes you such great harm. Isn't that right? The the doctors in here and the medical professionals would tell us this. Heart disease, all manner of cancer. I was really struck by by this statistic. Over 20% of heavy drinkers in the United Kingdom today are going to develop some form of liver cirrhosis in their lifetime. Over 20%. And Flavel is saying that sort of self-induced harm to your body, that is sinful. That is, again, that is displeasing to God. You ready for Spurgeon? Spurgeon said this. He said, that man, he must be a self-murderer who drinks to another person's health whilst at the same time ruining his own. Isn't that great? Isn't it? But you see it. Why is it debauched? Why is Paul saying this? It because one reason is that it causes us, the people of God, harm. A second piece of evidence is that drinking excessively is what the Puritans call 
a leading sin. Have you heard of that? Isn't that a great term? I love that term. A leading sin. Do you see what the Puritans are saying? The excessive drinking is a sin that takes you by the hand and it leads you into a room of all other sins. One of the Puritans said this, drunkenness quickens all other lusts. And if you look at our city, the 21st century, you know that that is bang on, isn't it? That the drunken man is quicker to the fight isn't he? And the drunken man is swifter to the quarrel. The drunken person is more ready for sexual immorality. Isn't that right? Proverbs 20 verse 1 says this, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it, that man, he is not wise. So it's bad for health. And it leads us in all manner of other sins. The third piece of evidence is that it dehumanizes mankind. It is warm in here, isn't it? Really warm. It's almost like we should have a drinks break halfway through. It's hot. But yeah, you're coping, I'm sure. But I do, I want to pause in a sense here right now. Because of all the things that we're going to say tonight, I think this is the crux of it. And this is the heart of the matter. And I want you to understand this. That more often than not, in the Bible, the reason that drunkenness is portrayed as being sinful, it's not about the harm that's going to cause you or your illness. Throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, more often than not, the reason that drunkenness is seen as being sinful is that it unmans us. Now, do you see the idea that it almost renders us subhuman? The alcohol, excessive drinking, dehumanizes us. That's what Scripture says. Now, think about it from a divine point of view. The Almighty Eternal God has created man... To have dominion over all of the animals. Dominion over all of the beasts. And what does excessive drinking do? It subverts that created plan. Doesn't it? It flicks that created order on its head. Excessive drinking renders us like the beasts of the field. We drink too much. What do we become? We become Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember it? walking about like an animal, like a beast. What is it the excessive drinking does? Do you know what it does? It does the devil's work for him. And excessive drinking devalues man in the image of God. So it causes us harm. It leads us into sin. Then it dehumanizes us. The last piece of evidence, though, is that drunkenness conforms us to the world And here we are really back at Paul's main point. Do you remember what Paul's doing in Ephesians 5? Remember I said it right at the start. What's he doing? What's Paul doing in Ephesians 5? He's saying that you and I, as place, the church, has to be different to the world. That's what you're called to be. You are called to walk in a way that is different to your unbelieving friends. We are too different. Yet what does excessive drinking do? It blurs the lines. Doesn't it? 
and it conforms us to the ways of the the ways of the world. Have you ever noticed in the Bible that in these lists of people who are outside the kingdom of God, you don't just have, you know, the, the list of people who are hell-bound, outside of Christ. You don't just have idolaters. You don't just have the sexual immoral. Who's, who's named in these lists? The drunkards. So if we are drinking excessively, we are associated with those outside of Christ Jesus. I mean, we're associated with them. We are conforming ourselves to those who are, who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And I stand in front of you and I, I say, like, in a sense, forget all the other reasons. Isn't that enough for you? Like, if you are drinking too much, isn't that enough? Like, the, the fact that it's not just killing you. But if you are drinking too much, even in private, even if we don't know anything about it, it is also killing your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the command and we see the explanation. And then very briefly, we are going to close with the alternative. The alternative that Paul... Paul's good to us. I always think that Paul's good to us. Do you see what I mean? Paul doesn't, in Scripture, in the epistles, he doesn't just tell you how we are not to live. What does he almost always do? He says, don't do that, we displease any God. Then he gives you the alternative. He tells you what it is that would please your God. Now, before we look at the alternative, I wonder if you notice this. Now, did you notice that what we are dealing with here is the third in a series of contrasts? He's building up these contrasts, Ephesians. I know it's late, we're tired. Would you look at them with me? Have a look at verse 15. Look, you're thinking about contrast. He's saying, how do you walk as Christians? Look at the first contrast in verse 15. You're not, not to live as someone who's unwise. What's the contrast? Someone who is wise. It's the first one. Second contrast, verse 17. We're not to live as those who are foolish. You and I are to live as those who understand the will of God. And then, the third contrast. Now you see he's building up. And he's emphasizing this just by this device of using contrast. What does he say? What's the alternative? Friend, don't get drunk with wine, but... What is it? Be filled with the Spirit. There is your contrast. Be filled with the Spirit. Now... Very careful. Aren't I on shaky ground? Be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean? I think we would all agree. We would all agree, yes, it's to do with the Holy Spirit of God. It's not about the human spirit. We're fine there. Where we might differ is exactly what does it involve being filled with the Spirit. Now, I know that some of you will disagree with what I'm going to say. Please hear it, though, at least. What Paul has in view here is not a one-off type charismatic experience or phenomenon that only is available to some believers. That is not what being filled with the Spirit here means at all. This is something that is open and real for all of the children of God. And what is it? Do you know what Paul wants? Paul wants you to be controlled by an intoxicating spirit. But it isn't whiskey, and it isn't brandy, and it isn't gin. 
He wants you truly to be controlled by the intoxicating spirit of the almighty God. He wants us not to be looking to alcohol, to booze for that pleasure, but to look increasingly to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think about it and we look at it and we say, great, but how do we do it? How does this, how can you and I be filled with the Spirit? Well, we saw this morning that it happens in our conversion, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit fills our heart. But friend, listen, we are increasingly filled only through the ordinary means of grace. And you know what they are. We are filled with the Spirit. This is the alternative through prayer, reading, fellowship with Christians, hearing the preaching of God's Word. That is how we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to bring us into land by just encouraging you to do that tonight. It may be that you are struggling with this topic tonight. It may well be there are people in here who look at Scripture and realize their sin or past sin. I want to encourage you tonight not to look for your satisfaction to the temporary buzz you're going to get from, I don't know, half a bottle of Prosecco. I want to encourage you tonight, through the ordinary means of grace this week, to look for your satisfaction to the eternal glory of the new wine of the gospel. Not to be drinking to excess this week. Not to be doing what, do you know what? A huge percentage of London tonight is in a beer garden. Let's not do that. Instead, this week, we fall and we bow. As we talked about this morning, we pray to this great God of ours. We read scripture and we delight in the pleasure, not of booze, but the pleasure of Christ. And I end for the fourth time of the sermon by hammering Paul's main point. What's his main point? We're to live differently to the world. Why are we to live differently to the world? Why? Because don't we have this glorious message of salvation from sin? People can be wrestled from iniquity and set free. They can be, they can be light. How? That's how. Do you see? How is it that we can be saved? What is it the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, Christian friend? You are saved. Through Jesus drinking that the Lord Jesus Christ for you, out of love for you, has drunk to the dregs. The cup of God's wrath. Is that not reason for us to stand out for the Lord Jesus Christ this week? Let us stand for him and let us stand sober-minded in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do accept your judgment of our lives. Lord God, we realize that we do not live in a way that is different. We do not teach our children your precepts and truths and these verses as we ought. We do not discuss as a congregation the perils of excess alcohol. We, perhaps many of us, know 
the sin of our own lives. We do not take your decrees as seriously as we ought. But we thank you there is forgiveness, and there is forgiveness through what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord, we praise you tonight for what we see in Gethsemane, for the Lord Jesus himself bowing to his knees and accepting that that cup would not be taken from him. Lord, we praise you for the gospel, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.